Hello, and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off earlier. What was your take on Halliburton? Well, Halliburton, um, I'm glad that he is coming back. But just for the record, had he been diagnosed with like a torn ACL out for the season, yada, 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 I was all set to come on the podcast and say, do not bury the Indiana Pacers yet because TJ McConnell is not going to let that team die. (laughs) Alas, it looks like it's still going to be Halliburton driving the bus out there in Indianapolis. Uh, But I was just reminded watching TJ McConnell like – blog boys the last couple years have spent so many hours fawning over Tyus Jones talking about what an amazing backup point guard is (laughs) underappreciated TJ McConnell is every bit as good as as Tyus Jones you don't have to say blog boys you can call me out by name Tyus is a starter now and the Wizards are desperately hoping for a late first round pick over the next month or so but TJ McConnell underappreciated and just a rock solid dude and I I love what his career has turned into for the Pacers but hopefully they won't need to be relying on him too much over the next month or so and yeah good correction grade one sprain for Halliburton I went back and double checked so he should be back in a couple weeks good news for everybody because he's been one of the best stories of the year well, hey, did it take your breath away like I was saying earlier with all these people just panicking? Like, I know you're you're laying it on thick here a little bit for your guy McConnell, and I appreciate you doing that. It's it's earned, uh, both mm. for you and for him. <laughs> but I, when you're seeing him, in, you know, looking like he was in some real pain, real awkward, like, were you like, no, there goes another future face of the NBA guy, we can't have this, or was it a more measured response? Like, how did you just receive it? I, I just want to know... Your temperature on like how in are you on Hallie? I wasn't like despondent as, as it seemed like most of Twitter was, uh, but it was more of just like, man, that sucks because of what a great story he and the Pacers have been. I do find myself watching the Pacers sometimes where my eyes kind of glaze over. Like they've had some games with the Bucks that have felt like glorified AAU situations where it's like you score, I score, you score, I score. Um, and so that aspect of the experience, I'm not as enthralled with. Like, I'm not one of the people who are like the Pacers top five league pass team. Uh, But it just would have been a bummer for the entire league had he been out for the season. Um, And so for now, we just get to see how far Ben Matherin can take them over the next couple of weeks. Ben Matherin, a real hit or miss guy. If you catch him on the right night, you're like, wow, this is a future superstar hiding in plain sight. But man, when it gets dark, it gets really dark with him. So I'm surprised that that he continues to get like a pretty decent leash from Rick Carlisle. It doesn't seem like a Rick Carlisle type of guy. You know, and like not to give this away, hopefully nobody steals. But I've, I've been thinking about doing a story on Rick Carlisle, like how he learned to relax and trust the fast pace. Like, have you yeah. thought about where his career started? Not even just the Lucas stuff, but like he was starting in Detroit where it was like they would put up more in a half now the Pacers would, then the Pistons would put up an entire game <laughs> in, the, in the Rick Carlisle era. Literally, and that so, is not hyperbole for anybody who wasn't alive in like 2007 and, and locked into basketball. That's literally it, what it was, the Pistons were doing. 
and it was ugly, ugly basketball, you know, and look, I'm never going to be the guy who says, oh, defense is terrible, but, you know, even I can't abide what the Pistons were doing out there. I mean, it's tough, <laughs> tough to watch. I'll be the first to admit it, tough to watch. And now he's got this team that is incredibly watchable. And, you know, I'm with you. It's a lot of popcorn, right? Yeah. Like every night, oh, 140, 140, it all kind of runs together. I, I totally agree with that. But um, stylistically, they could not be more different. And I know you're not the world's biggest Rick Carlisle fan. I do think he deserves massive credit for fitting his style to his players' strengths. Mm -hmm. So many times we see coaches, and we talked about this with Adrian Griffin in the Bucks defense. I have a philosophy. I don't care if Brooke Lopez needs to run around the court and he can't do it because he's old and lumbering and huge. Sorry, this is my philosophy. We're going to do it. Two weeks past, you're like, God dang it, that didn't work. Okay, I got to switch everything up. Carlisle, you know, building really good offenses around Luka, really good offense around Halliburton, the defense first teams um, in Detroit. And there was others along the way um, I'm not going to put him like on the Spo level, the pop level, the, the Phil Jackson level, like from an all timer, but this guy is like a coach's coach. I mean, oh, yeah. he really did it. And I, I got to give him love for that. And you know what I would add? Carlisle is near the top of the list, certainly among coaches, maybe among just basketball people in general, given some of the basketball history he's been a part of. The, the list of guys who I'd love to get a couple drinks in him and have him just start telling stories and firing off takes because very buttoned uh -oh. up in public. But I feel like there's a more honest version of Rick Carlisle behind the scenes that would make for a very entertaining documentary subject, you know, biography, memoir. I don't know what the yeah. right medium is, but I'm sure he's got some fire in there and doesn't let on as much in public what he actually thinks. Well, it sounds to me like, you know, Furious George by George Carl wasn't enough. And you want the, uh, <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> you want Furious Rick, the Furious sequel. Furious Rick. Give us Furious Rick somewhere along the line. Um, And at the top of that list, a natural segue, Steve Kerr could write a phenomenal book, Life with MJ, Life with Pop, Life with the Warriors the last 10 years. It would have to be a multi-volume memoir from Steve Kerr. Who knows whether he'll ever make that call or not, but we did get a question about Steve Kerr. Jonathan says, Thursday was the fourth time the Warriors have blown an 18-point lead this year. They were up by 18 midway through the fourth quarter against Denver and scored four points in the final six minutes. Four points! How is that possible? After building a massive lead against the defending champs, what does sleepy Steve Kerr do? He replaces Jonathan Kaminga and Pods with various combinations of Kevon Looney, Chris Paul, Dario Saric, and Andrew Wiggins. Kaminga had 16 points in 18 minutes. He put Jamal Murray in foul trouble. He changed the game. 18 minutes. His reward is riding the bench while Sleepy goes back to the same washed-up guys over and over again. Last year, Sleepy chose Anthony Lamb, a G League player who is now playing in New Zealand, over developing Kaminga and Moody. Now, he continues using lineups that clearly aren't working. You have to try to get outscored 22-4 to in the final six minutes. All he has to do is keep playing the players who are playing well, who built an 18-point lead on the Nuggets, but the man cannot help himself. He is a menace. Some on this podcast want to defend the legends and always give them the benefit of the doubt. That time has long passed. His, ch his style may have changed the game of basketball, but those days are over. 
reinvent yourself or move on. Steve Kerr is officially on Fraud Watch. He has to go, and the roster needs to be revamped if they are going to salvage the the remainder of Steph's prime. Would LeBron have tolerated even one-tenth of what Steph has tolerated the last two years? I think not. Uh, All right, so Ben, broad strokes, what are your thoughts on the Warriors? This is obviously written before Steve Kerr inserted Jonathan Kaminga into the starting lineup alongside Andrew Wiggins. They proceeded to get waxed by the new-look Toronto Raptors. But any thoughts on the Kerr kerfuffle out there in Golden State and the general state of affairs? The kerfuffle. That's very good Mm. work by you, Andrew. Very, very good work. I mean, my first thought is just like, I hope I don't sound like this if Michigan ever were to win four national championships. (laughs) It's like, come on, have a little bit of respect for the greats. And I understand, you know, okay, maybe we're overly deferential on this show towards like the old guard of the Warriors just like Kerr is overly deferential to the old guard of the Warriors, but that stuff is earned. And I understand it doesn't go on forever. They're in the middle of a transition right now. He is trying to take that transition as deliberately as possible. I personally respect it. I understand why it would frustrate people like our emailers. And the public pressure has worked. They're getting more time for Kaminga. You know, Chris Paul going out, it sounds like that's going to be a lot more time for Moody. Um There is one other thing going on here that I have noticed basically no Warriors analysts discuss, and it's kind of a third rail. I understand that. He's trying to make this comparison, you know, between LeBron and Steph Curry, and okay, you know, would he put up with this lack of help around him and so forth? One thing that Steph Curry doesn't get that LeBron has dealt with is incredible scrutiny about the quality of his play. You look at some of these recent losses, you know, uh, to Denver a couple weeks ago on Christmas. He shoots seven for 21, follows that up against Miami. He shoots three for 15, right? Mm. They lose to Dallas. He shoots nine for 25, right? Uh, Against Toronto the other night, two for 14. He goes 0 for 9 from three, right? So Curry is not a part of the conversation right now. It feels like at all about Golden State struggles. It's always everybody else around. Uh, Curry is failing him. Curry doesn't know how to put the right things around him. You know, these young guys and they got to play this and they're too deferential and, you know, Draymond's out of control and blah, blah, blah. Like some of these losses are just coming down to Steph Curry not playing like Steph Curry, you know, and I look at the starters for the Western Conference All-Star team like, I'm sorry. It's Shea and it's Luca. It's not Steph this year. And I'm not trying to crush Steph. Everyone knows how I feel about Steph Curry. I just think it's time for a little bit more honesty in the conversation about, okay, Golden State's been struggling. They haven't been closing games out. Um, and I'm not going to where you went and really pissed everybody off by saying, oh, he's not clutch. He can't hit the big shot. But <laughs> if your best player is a score first guy, right? And he goes seven for 21, three for 15, nine for 25, two for 14. Nobody's surprised if you go 0-4 in those games, right? And that's just from Christmas since Christmas, right? So um, let's put at least a little bit of on Curry. And I know the defenders are going to say, well, you know, they've got all these injury issues. Peyton's been out now. Chris Paul's out. Draymond hasn't come back yet, so on and so forth. Totally get it. But that's part of building a team around a 35-year-old star is sometimes the cracks are going to show ever so slightly once in a while. And we're starting to see some of that from Steph here. And I just feel like nobody has mentioned it. Am I wrong? Well, this is what it looks like when dynasties get old and age out of contention. 
nobody looks as good as they did a couple years ago. I think the Steph point is an important one because he, if you look at his numbers, he his peaks are still as high as his peaks were as recently as last year and certainly the year before when he was spectacular. Uh, oh, but I'm not trying to call him a bum. Let me let me clarify. I'm yeah. saying he's the third best guard in the Western Conference. I'm not saying he's a bum. I'm just like that's different because he has been number one. He has been the big dog for eight or nine years, right? And mm-hmm. that has slipped, and he's having more of these no-show nights than he's had previously. Exactly. I, I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to say he's averaging 12 points on 27% <laughs> shooting, right? No, but there are more nights where you're like, huh, Steph just can't get it going, and then the game ends. Like, Because normally with Steph, it's like he can't get it going, and then he'll go nuts in a quarter, and you're like, oh, there's Steph. But um, there have been more kind of just fallow nights, weeks generally for Steph than any of us are used to. That's part of the story. Clay's not the same guy. Draymond's been MIA. And Kerr, you know, with the Kaminga situation, I tweeted about it last week, and I, I, I'm opposed in principle to any player of Kaminga's stature who goes to Shams and says he's lost faith in his head coach and leaks that publicly. Wild um, headline. Wild headline. I was just stunned, and then I tweeted about it, and I had like a thousand people acting as if I was saying Jonathan Kaminga has no right to advocate on his own behalf, and he should either shut up and dribble or be put in sports jail or something thing like relax all i was saying a week ago is that there's a locker rooms and teams function best when there's a hierarchy and successful organizations don't have role players going to shams and calling out the head coach but the warriors are not a successful organization right now and the best thing you can say about kaminga is that he may have breached the code i guess this is actually the worst thing you can say about kerr Kaminga breached the code, but like Kerr has been so all over the place with his decision making this season that Kaminga wasn't entirely wrong either. (laughs) And like, even if you think he shouldn't have gone public, it's been so bad that it's like, well, what do you do? Um, And so it seems like Lakeham may have intervened. And I don't know that any of it's really going to change the story, change the ceiling for Golden State. Um, And it's unfortunate because I do want Steph to retire with dignity, retire you know, he because he's not as washed as Clay and he's not flaking like Draymond, um, but it just doesn't seem like that's in the cards. And it seems like both the Lakers and Warriors are going to be kind of plucky play-in level teams, but not necessarily the contenders we were expecting them to be on the way into the season. And that's just sort of uh, a fact of life at this point in the year. And I would be surprised if things, I guess I would be more surprised if things change for the Warriors than I would be if the Lakers were able to shake things up at the trade deadline, similar to what they did a year ago and put themselves in position to really challenge in the West. I just don't see what the move is that makes the Warriors contenders going forward. And so in that way, I, I think the white hot focus on Steve Kerr <laughs> is getting a little bit unfair because I like Warriors Twitter's fucking psychotic at this point about Kerr. He hasn't been perfect, but there are problems up and down the roster and throughout the organization. And it's a bigger story than just a coach whose best days are behind him, even if Steve Kerr's best days are in fact behind him. Really well said throughout there. Um, I think we could probably agree that 
Jonathan Kaminga is not the answer, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like, it's like a superstar hiding. Thing, yeah, turning this thing over to him is is not going to be this game changer that vaults them back into championship contention. Um, he has been better this year, Kaminga, that is, than I thought he would be. Um, I was really, really out on him basically all of last year, and, and he's had some moments this year, so give him his credit. I also want to give Steph Curry credit for how he managed that situation because you know he went public and kind of stood up for Kaminga, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was an opportunity for him to say, you know, Omerta, you know, La Cosa Nostra. I mean, didn't Darvin Ham was like bringing in mafia references because of these anonymous sources, you <laughs> know, in the Lakers? Love, uh, yeah, yeah. No, of course I love that too. It's hilarious, but um, also just a bad look. Not great uh, for the Lakers and Ham, but. Steph threaded the needle very well uh, when it came to Kaminga. Essentially, I, I think the the gist of his message was like he has a right to be frustrated. We get it. He's been playing well. We need him, but maybe we don't want that kind of stuff to come public. I think that's essentially what he said. There was an opportunity for Steph to leave Kaminga out to dry on that one, right? Mm-hmm. And there are some other A list superstars around the league who might have left lesser role player teammates out to dry in that situation. So I think just bonus points to Steph's leadership on that one. Um, he does it his own way, and I, I really respect it. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't want this to come across as like the bash Steph hour because that's not the point. But I'm with you. All the focus has been on Kerr. Anytime a situation is this up and down, and it's been up and down for multiple years. You know, last year was really, really shaky too. Anytime it's like that, it's not one person. It's not one coach who basketball fans feel like they've completely outsmarted, even though though this guy's had a 30-year career in the NBA and understands relationship dynamics better than any of us ever will. Uh, I think it's time, you know, the sleepy stuff. It's like, come on, bro. Okay. Just, we don't need, we don't need to call him sleepy. It's all right. Um, Let's also not forget Draymond hasn't been out there uh, because he hit Yusuf Nurkic in the face weeks ago and uh, is still, uh, you know, basically not back on the court. However, he did get reinstated after the official 12-game suspension, so he's on the path back to the court. And we'll see if that's a net positive or a net negative. I said at the time of the suspension, they should consider bringing him back gradually, easing him in, trying to protect him from himself a little bit, but also trying to protect the group from him. Mm-hmm. I did not like at all the podcast promotion of, oh, yeah, I was ready to retire, and Adam Silver talked me back into it. Here I am trying to get more views and clips. Not the right time, Draymond. Not the right time. I don't think I have ever said cool story, bro, faster (laughs) in the last year than when I saw that bouncing around because that's not really something anybody says anymore, but that was exactly my reaction. Hashtag cool story, bro. My second reaction was, I wonder if Lakeup was like, are you sure you don't want to reconsider retirement? You know, oh it's like a lot God. of money on this contract. <laughs> Maybe this could be a group decision. We could all discuss whether you should retire, right? Yeah. I mean, everything about the Draymond story, literally every stage of it has made me feel like I'm being pranked. Like it's just this elaborate parody of modern NBA culture and the news cycles, whether it's the initial reactions, the mental health framing of the suspension for some reason. You know, Woj promoting his podcast, 
Draymond saying he wants to retire. Adam Silver wasn't going to let him do it. Like all of it was just so eye roll inducing every step of the way. Uh, I can't say more about it because it'll make me too upset. But I just wish the NBA could be a normal sport. I don't know why we had to in- engage in this weeks long effort to launder Draymond's image on oh, the way yeah. out of like a hard foul against Yusuf Nurkic like nobody thought he was a sociopath uh, but the whole league apparatus just went into overdrive and it was insulting to fans intelligence if nothing else Um, but yeah we'll see what he looks like and doesn't that give you any sympathy for Steve Kerr imagine if that was your job totally dealing with this guy oh great Welcome back to practice, Draymond. Glad you didn't retire. So glad the commissioner stepped in. It's like, <laughs> now you got to find some minutes for you in between Sarich and Moody and Kaminga. It's like, that's, Kerr's in a tough spot. Uh, you know, always, look, anytime you're frustrated, if you're a fan, anytime you're frustrated with the coach or frustrated with the front office, it's natural. Just try to put yourself in their shoes, right? And then sometimes you're going to come out and say, I have no clue what they were thinking. I don't know what Troy Weaver is doing. I tried to think inside his head. It makes no sense why he's collecting <laughs> all these big guys. I don't get it. Sometimes you're going to come out with that. And sometimes maybe you come out with a slightly different appreciation for exactly what Kerr's had to juggle for a really, really long time here. And I guess that's where I, I come down on him. Yeah, well, here, I just found this Darvin Ham quote. It reminds me of when I used to watch the 60 Minutes with my father in the 80s. This is him answering reporters' questions about the athletic report we discussed a week ago about the the Lakers' locker room losing faith in Darvin Ham, a disconnect between the locker room and Darvin Ham. He says, it reminds me of when I used to watch 60 Minutes with my father in the 80s. And one particular show, they were talking about La Cosa Nostra and the Mafia. And these guys were starting to go to trial and their star witness shows up with a black potato sack over his head and shades and due to fear the name can't really be released and so this seems to be the standard of reporting now for the nba people on the internet and whatever and not all reporters i don't want to disrespect anybody in the room but when you say the source is anonymous by choice and they don't want to put their name on something but they want to give you the information and then you take the information and now everybody gets the chance to dissect it and spread it all out in their own way it's kind of disingenuous great stuff from Darvin Ham if nothing else because it plants the seed as more journalism moves to new platforms and more of this moves to video I would love it if anonymous sources in the NBA did have to appear on camera with a black potato sack over their head and like a voice modulator for some of these video segments. I think I would be a lot more invested in ESPN's NBA Today if some of their reporting did feature La Cosa Nostra style anonymous sources. <laughs> okay. So that's the change I would like to see in 2024. Thank you for that, Darvin Ham. I loved Can that you clarify. Quote. Can you clarify? Was he trying to say they were supposed to decloak these mafia witnesses? Was this what he was asking for? Essentially, he wanted them to just like, let's put their lives at risk because it's not fair for them to testify against the mob bosses who definitely <laughs> could kill them. Well, no, I think what he's saying is, all right, so it made sense if we're talking about La Costa Nostra, but why is that now the standard of reporting for the NBA? 
And right. I'm sympathetic because I did read the athletic report and they were like, the athletic decided to grant anonymity to these people because otherwise they can't speak out. Something to that effect. They use the exact same language that like the Pentagon uses when I'm reading up on US China. So I don't know that it has to be quite as grave as it's framed in some of this reporting, but I say go the other direction and embrace the La Cosa Nostra approach and put guys in potato sacks and let's all just um, live in a, a, a constant 60 minutes news cycle. The other thing that Darvin Ham said recently, and this one did make me wince, he came out after a Lakers loss and said, people need to stop living and dying with every game we play. You can make that case after like a loss here and there, but the Lakers have been awful since the in-season tournament. And so that one rung a little bit more hollow as far as I'm concerned. Uh, You can't get on the fans who are like, dude, you've lost 11 of 15 games. What the hell is happening? (laughs) You can't ever get on the fans. How is it the fans' fault ever? Come on, man. I did not like that quote. I, I don't get it. It felt to me like he was feeling the heat a little bit and he was trying to get people to back off. Um that was a bad message from him. I don't, I, you know, at the time, you know, before he gave that quote, when we were talking about the Lakers future, I was like, you know, don't overreact, kind of stay the course. You got some potential wins coming up. And so that's kind of the same message that he was trying to get across of this idea that it's a marathon, right? Mm-hmm. But to tell people not to live and die with your team, that is the whole point, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that's what fandom is. We want people living and dying with the team. Otherwise, I'm not flying out here, staying at Field Corn Hotel watching a football game in this giant uh, you know, stadium that some people say looks like a toilet. Like I, I'm just not doing that unless I'm living and dying. To me, the living and dying part is the whole deal. Don't give it away, Darvin. Come on. There you go. All right, two final notes here on Nikola Jokic. First, Caleb says, I don't have much to say, but I'm just curious how you feel watching a Jokic game winner after the conversation about Steph game winners a couple episodes, a couple episodes ago. When Jokic lets it fly, I expect it 100% to go in, no matter how weird it looks. And sometimes I'm even more sure if the shot is especially odd looking. Do you feel the same or is it just my homerism coming through? So, Ben, as a hoop watcher, do you feel the same whenever Jokic puts it up with the game on the line? Oh, he's hit so many big shots. I mean, especially in last year's playoffs, he had a couple of just crazy shots, one-legged, high-arching shots. It's the nuts. one he hit, the three the three dribble to beat the Warriors at the buzzer on the road um, that left Steph non on his mouth guard, that shot's a tough <laughs> shot. And I had to watch that from every angle to even figure it how he got it in the hoop. I don't think it's homerism from Caleb. I think no. he's on it, man. Yeah. yeah. So I where think are you? Because you were the one who said you, you were a little bit worried about Steph sometimes when he has the final shot. I take it you don't feel that way about Joker. Joker, so I'm sure that their percentages on those shots are actually sort of similar or or at least in the same ballpark. I would guess that Jokic has the highest percentage of anyone in the league on those shots. Uh, But Jokic, whenever he puts it up, including the 40-footer against the Warriors last week, I expect it to go in. And Steph, for whatever reason, I'm less certain. I think I'm haunted by the memories of that last second shot against the Raptors, whatever it may be. Jokic, wherever he is, whatever the context is, he's got that 
feathery soft touch and I'm just positive that it's going in. It would be terrifying to root against that in a playoff context. Um, and it's just a credit to him and how routine his greatness is. Uh, and I think more and more people are now starting to realize just how ice cold he is in those situations. But it's been true for like five years now, and only over the last year or two have people started to pay attention to just what a killer he is. Um, so thank you, Caleb, for identifying what the other end of the spectrum looks and feels like. It's Nikola Jokic shooting like a knuckleball from 16 feet that you just know is going in. Um, and then... Yeah, no, I, I just looked it up real quick. I mean, his his shooting percentages in clutch situations in general, last five minutes or last three minutes... I mean, he's shooting 54% over the last five minutes. That's excellent, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think one thing to keep in mind with Jokic that, that's a little bit different than Steph, part of what we've talked about is shot quality for Steph in those situations, right? Like how it can kind of be challenging for Joker because of his size, because of his launch angle, because he can score from anywhere on the court and he can hit shots from two or three steps behind the three-point line. He can get a good shot against virtually any opponent from virtually anywhere he wants it. Like he has a wider canvas to play with than what Steph has to play with, surely because of size and surely because of uh, touch. And, and his passing ability helps too because it keeps people honest. But um, we might picture these rainbow threes as like the daggers that that kill teams. But Joker's just as you know easily can win a game by drop stepping, you know, you know, using that wide butt, using that acreage <laughs> to get himself in the paint, yeah. turn something over his left shoulder and and hook it home from three feet, right? Or he can hit a uh, you know a little floater from eight. Like he can beat you late game in so many different ways. And you, you said it, he doesn't get enough credit as being that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it's starting to come along. It should be. I think he got more of it once they won the title, and he was just hitting back breaking shots, but underrated as a clutch weapon and not even just as a scorer, you know, great passer too. He can always get his team a good shot. So uh, yeah, the, the Jokic appreciation hour go on forever around here. Yeah, exactly. You also can't foul him unlike big men of the past. Um, so that's another weapon. All right. NBA central reports at NBA central on Twitter. Bogdan Bogdanovic was voted best player in Serbia by the Basketball Federation of Serbia. So there were about 40 votes here. Bogdan got 27 votes. Nikola Jokic got 10 votes. Alexa Avramic uh, got two votes. And someone named Borisa Simonic uh, got one vote. Um, I just want to congratulate the Basketball Federation of Serbia on a great zag there. This, I guess, is the penalty for Jokic not playing in FIBA. I don't know whether you have any thoughts, Ben, but I just wanted to note it because it made me laugh. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, you know, I guess finals MVP and, you know, a couple MVPs in the recent past and maybe should have had it last year is not quite good enough for Serbia if you're not putting on the team's jersey, but... I get where they're coming from. You know, it's like, look, I didn't expect him to play in the FIBA World Cup, but doesn't it kind of feel like a challenge? Mm. This voting results, like, come on, man. Like, you know, you're a legend. But if you really, really want to be a legend, Show go us out in there Paris. and put the national team's jersey just like Luka does. Because if I'm in Serbia, I'm looking over at Luka, right? And I'm thinking, like, come on, man. Like, these guys get him out there for every tournament. And, yes, he's, you know, whining at the officials through most of these games. It's not always the best time to watch. But at least he's out there representing Slovenia, you know? And, like, they, it's just national pride built up around that guy. 
And imagine if, you know, Jokic is in that spot in a big Olympic moment or a big FIBA World Cup moment. The fans would be going absolutely nuts. I would love to see it. Hopefully it happens. And uh, I, I like this. I, I, to me, it feels like a challenge. Like they're oh, kind yeah. of goading him along, you know? You know what happened here? This was GOAT behavior on the part of the Basketball Federation of Serbia. This was the Basketball Federation of Serbia saying the best ability is availability. So you can take your title and shove it, Nicola. You can take your nearly back-to-back-to-back MVPs and shove it. All right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp, and Ben Golliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show.